This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. Sunday, May 26th, the greatest spectacle in racing returns. The Indianapolis 500 on NBC and Peacock. 33 of the world's fastest drivers go head-to-head for a chance to kiss the bricks, taste the milk, and claim their place in racing history. Experience the drama, the pageantry, the tradition. Live from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the Indy 500. Sunday, May 26th on NBC and Peacock. Or listen on Sirius XM NBC Sports Channel. AJ, how frustrating is it to go four games in a row without forcing a turnover? Extremely. Can you elaborate? It is very, very frustrating. You have any suggestions about it? I mean, you guys, you know you're trying to do everything you can. If I had them, I would do it. That's not, I'm not saying that your question's a bad one. I'm just saying if I knew the answer, I would implement that answer. You know, a day like yesterday, one of those days where you're glad that the press conferences aren't in person anymore. I don't know that I'd want to be having that back and forth with the giant known as J.J. Watt after the Texans lost their fourth game of the year. They're 0-4. Man. They're not quite at put a fork in them level. They're getting close. They got at least close. one thing, one part of that fork's in there. What you know? What do they call it? They call it a spoke on a fork? What do they call those things pointed out of there? Is it a spoke? Is it a tongue? Is it a tang? Is it a spork? Yeah. I prefer tines, tines. The tines of a fork. Thank you, Matt Casey. I prefer the spork, frankly, because it's so versatile. Oh, yeah. It's really you can, versatile. You can stab if you need to. You can scoop <laughs> oh, if you need to. Good, good. Just That's good to know. Just don't bite down too hard or it breaks everywhere. Do you- JJ Watt cracked me up, though. When, when he elaborated on his frustration, by saying it was very, very frustrating. He was like the kid who's trying to hit a word count in an essay that he's writing for school, counting up all the words and using very over and over again. I learned that trick at an early age, but I bet you yeah, did. Look, look, hey, this is football. Yeah. Winners and losers. And for every good story coming out of every Sunday of the season, there's a bad story. We're here on Mondays after the Sundays of the seasons to give you the good and the bad. And that's what we're going to do over the course of the next two hours we're on peacock live as we always are now sirius xm 211 nbcsn for the re-air at nine o'clock eastern hello to you if you are checking us out old school style get with the future charlie get peacock <laughs> and then on the uk and ireland side of things it is sky sports nfl at seven o'clock p.m prime time as they get ready for a late night in london wow Good luck on Tuesday, London, with the doubleheader, kind of half doubleheader that's coming up, Chris. Kind of like Good luck the, to us. The, yeah, well, at least the second game starts at 8.50, right. not 10.15. Exactly. No, I know. It, it's still, it, it's going to be. Well, I, the other thing, too, Mike, I mean, you know, I know this is not a problem for you because in your barn you have 74 TVs, but the games are going to overlap each other, and that's annoying, too. That is annoying. I don't have a two TV set up right now, so I'm going to have to figure that out and what I'm going to do there. I might have to, I, I have a few options, so I got to, I got to do something, but yeah, I mean, I can't be going back and forth previous channel. I guess I could split screen it on my TV, right? That'll be the way I got to do it. 
Yeah, or or just take another TV outside next to the one that you built with your own two hands in the Lowe's commercial. Oh, you worked no, really no hard problem. on that. I'm sure you did all of that. <laughs> You're a good one. You funny little bastard, you. <laughs> um, yeah, Chris, Chris, I, I don't know what the specific cause right. of your technological issues may be, but lack of finances, probably not one of them. <laughs> okay, thank so you. get your ass to the store today and okay. buy a second TV. Okay. All right. Uh, you, you need multiple TVs to keep up with what's happening on a given Sunday. And, man, the Browns-Cowboys game is one that just felt like it should have been in prime time. The Browns acted like it was. The Cowboys acted like it didn't. Browns went 49-38. At one point, though, it was statement game. It was 85 Bears going into Dallas and winning 44 nothing kind of statement game, if anyone remembers that. I remember what a stunner that was. That was front page cover of Sports Illustrated stunner. And when I saw 41-14, to I thought, what in the hell is wrong with the Cowboys and what in the hell is right with the Browns? Now, the Browns held off the assault from the Cowboys. They still got the big win. They hang 49 on Dallas. What is the headline of this? That the Cowboys stink at one and three, or that the Browns, after losing week one, have won three in a row? I, I think more that the Browns have won three in a row. I mean, especially with the Browns we're talking about. This has been the, the gutter team of football for, you know, the better part of two decades. So the fact that they're three and one, even though Dallas being one and three with that much talent on their roster and all that stuff, or at least on the offensive side of the ball, is shocking. I still think the bigger story is Cleveland, too, and especially the way they did it, right, Mike? I mean, to me, that was kind of a different way of fun to watch a football game. It was like star power, explosive plays with, like, grittiness. It wasn't like Dallas, where it's this high-flying, we're going to throw it all over the place. It was you know, Nick Chubb run, reverse pass Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr. reverses and things like that to where not the way we always see a receivers or like that get the ball in their hands that way. But nonetheless, they got it in their hands. And I mean, come on, 300 yards. That, that's like that's old school Oklahoma, Nebraska wishbone stuff when you're talking about the run game on a defense like that. And, and it really is amazing that they were able to run the ball as well as they could even after Nick Chubb exited the game. He had 43 yards. The Browns finished with 307 rushing yards. The Browns are awaiting news today on Nick Chubb's MRI. They were cautiously optimistic that the knee isn't seriously injured, but the MRI, as always, tells the story. Here's Baker Mayfield. His stats aren't through the roof, but the team is winning. And there's a vibe in Cleveland that definitely wasn't there during the ill-fated Freddie Kitchens era. We can score points uh, when we need to. Uh, I think, you know, like we keep saying, establishing that run game, you know, creating one-on-ones in the outside in the play-action game. Uh, and then when we need to throw it, we just got to be efficient on some of those third downs. Uh, I thought we could have been a little bit better. I could have been a little bit better, um, you know, distributing the ball and finding completions. But, um, but we're learning that we're efficient when we need to be. Uh, and we just have to, you know, be more consistent. And I think that's the biggest takeaway from today. Yeah, we scored uh, a lot of points, but we left a lot out there. And I truly believe that. Boy, if they left a lot out there and they scored 49, that's a scary thought of what may happen in the future. But it was clicking. It was clicking without Nick Chubb. It was clicking with Kareem Hunt, who had a groin injury, who didn't contribute as much as expected. And one of the reasons it clicked, and we'll talk about this more later in the program when we empty the notebook, because I had a conversation with Kevin Stefanski, the coach of the team, after the game. It was clicking because of Odell Beckham Jr. They have found a sweet spot. They found a way to make it work. And Beckham ended up being a supplement in the running game. And part of that was because Chubb was injured, Chris. Yeah, well, I and it's, I mean, perfect. I mean, and, and I give step Kevin Stefanski a guy who I questions his offense a little with this hire. I mean, he's found the right formula and, and way to use these guys. And yeah, okay, the passing game's not clicking all the time. As we've seen, nobody cares. You know, make plays. You got to explosive playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. And that's where Stefanski's upped his game big time to me. I mean, he's taking a little bit of a page out of the McVay-Shanahan playbook to a degree. Yeah, okay, we're going to focus our offense through the run game. And then I got two guys on the edge of my offense who, when I give them the ball, they can keep you honest and keep you off the off my run game from overplaying it with reverses to Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. But, you know, quite honestly, they can make – you know, game-changing, difference-making plays. That, that's the big thing. 
And that's really what came through for the Browns yesterday is, is their big players, the ballers. Jarvis Landry, great touchdown pass. Baker plays solid. Odell was a superstar. Miles Garrett gets a strip sack fumble. You know, great, great roster, um, you know, what do I want to say, depth or planning there. Oh, yeah, we're going to run the football. We're going to be a good running football team. All right, well, if you're going to do that, you better have more than one running back in case one guy goes down. Oh, well, we got this kid Johnson and Kareem Hunt, and wow, we didn't miss a beat really when they went out. So there was a lot. there's a lot of things, I think, to respect about the Browns right now. The roster, the talent. And then what Stefanski's doing, I think, is the perfect way for this football team to succeed. And that's why they're kind of fun and explosive to watch right now. Yeah, Darnus Johnson had nearly 100 rushing yards. Yeah. And he's the guy that most people would say, who the hell's Who's that? That's I what I said. Hunt and Chubb. Right. Yeah, I did, I did too. I thought it was Hunt and Chubb all year long. Chubb goes out, and again, the Browns don't miss a beat. It's amazing to have over 300 rushing yards when the top guy, one of the best running backs in the NFL, leaves early with only 40 Three and Odell, yeah. This is one of those, Chris. Yeah. More than anything else, I want to be right. I want to be right with the things I report. I want to be right with the things that I predict. And I had this kind of weird feeling that ricocheted through my torso and disappeared yesterday or last week when we were thinking about these games. And I'm thinking it's Dallas, OBJ going back to Texas, going, yeah. going back against the team that he had that big catch against. It's right. Miles Garrett going back home. It's Baker Mayfield going back to Texas. They only play there, the Browns do, once every eight years. There's an element to this for them that yeah. makes it more special than it does for the team that plays eight games there every year. The Browns are going to bring it. And then the, the thought disappeared, and I didn't act on it. But, but Odell Beckham Jr. was incredible. And uh, if he plays like that every week, and there's no guarantee that he will, the challenge is – on the weeks where he's not getting the opportunities, if they lose, will that be the talking point? They need to find a balance sure. where he's involved. And if they're winning, it doesn't matter. But in a game where they lose and he's not involved, that's where these issues could come back to the forefront. But it, based on how awkward week one was, the fact that everything with him is stabilized, that's yeah. a testament to what Kevin Stefanski has done too. I, I think so. You're right. I, I mean, Mike, I think we were both in the same camp where we're going like, man, is this going to work? Is Odell and Cleveland going to work? Or was that just a you know a bad trade? You know, and, and Cleveland's going to be putting him on the trade block here at some point before the season's over. I, I think we were both kind of like thinking, I think this is where this is going in Cleveland. But again, Stefanski's found a way to include him in the offense. And yeah, he's not going to lead football in receiving or receptions this year and challenge, you know, guys like Michael Thomas and DeAndre Hopkins. Not going to happen. But I think they could be a really fun, explosive team, and Odell could be really happy if you carve out that Debo Samuel type role we saw for the 49ers last year. Gets a handful of carries every game. Gets a handful of screen passes thrown his way every game. And then, of course, has the traditional route running downfield off of play action and all those type of things, too. But I think what Stavansky, Stavansky's doing by building this team through the run game, though, he's got a chance to do that to where they're going to win football games. Yeah, it might not be all pass yards, but all the stars, he's found ways to get them to touch the football and feel happy and included and look what I'm doing for the football team. And I think at the end of the day, that's what any good football player wants to do. And he's, I just want a chance to make a difference, get the ball in my hand. I don't think he, Odell will care if it's through the air or on the ground. There's a balance there as well. And the guy who always comes to mind for me is Randy Moss. When the Vikings tried under Mike Tice to implement the Randy ratio, which was a mistake, if we can get him the ball 40% of the time, we'll win games. Because when they look back at the games they won, hey, he got the ball 40% of the time. It doesn't work that way. You can't force it. And I felt like they were trying to force it to Odell Beckham Jr. The other side of it is finding ways to get the ball in his hands because good coaches can do that. It's one thing to say we sent him on a go route and he was triple covered and he wasn't open and we, you know, what do we do? It's another thing to say we're bringing him in motion, we're giving him a jet sweep, we're giving him a handoff, we're right. finding ways that we get him the ball where they can't stop us from getting him the ball. And that's something Stefanski told me after the game yesterday. He's challenging himself to get the ball into Odell Beckham Jr.'s hands early. Early And that was the key with Randy Moss. Get him involved early. If you didn't get Randy Moss involved early in a game, he checked out. And I think Odell Beckham Jr., to a certain extent, will do the same thing. So just get him the ball early. Yeah. Find ways to get him the ball early. If he can run like he ran at the end of the game 
yesterday when he it should have been, as you said last night, a 20-yard loss, and he ends up scoring a freaking touchdown. Right. I'd hand him the ball as much as I hand it to anybody else on the team. No no, no doubt. And, and, you know, again, I think the big thing is, too, you, you, you keep people off your bread and butter part of your offense, right? The meat and potatoes. Oh, you want to overplay our pulling guard, you know, run to the right with Nick Chubb that's gashing you and always have the backside linebacker and the safety down there cheating. Well, that's where the guys like Odell Beckham Jr., to what you're saying, Mike, you get them the ball in their hands early on in the game, gets them feeling good, gets some juices going. Maybe they make a play to jumpstart your offense. But at the very least, they work as a decoy to be, whoa, okay, there's that guy. They got a plan to give him the ball, and the defense is always going to be looking for him for the rest of the day if you give them those touches early on, let alone – It'll stop them from overplaying some of your real plays because they might see that pulling guard Nick Chubb run and go, wait, is this going to be the reverse off of it? I see Odell coming in motion, and it really can help your offense that way. It doesn't have to be complicated, and Stefanski seems like he's figuring it out. Uh, Like I said, I've been very impressed with what I've seen so far. Meanwhile, the Cowboys are 1-3, and and there's an important dynamic that unfolds during every Dallas Cowboys game. Jason Garrett's name trends on Twitter because Cowboys fans are having seller's remorse. Maybe we should have kept Mr. Clapper in Dallas. Instead, it's Mike McCarthy, and they should be 0-4, but for pulling the rabbit out of the hat or elsewhere a couple of weeks ago against the Falcons, they would be 0-4. Here's Mike McCarthy, who is already getting upset about his new team. It ultimately falls at, uh, at my feet. It's my responsibility. Um, we're not, the application of details did not exist today um, in, in certain spots of the game. You know, there was a lot of good football that will totally go unrecognized. Uh, and that, that's what happens when you lose. Uh, but what I don't like is I don't like the pattern um, of the four games that we've played. You know, the points are outrageous. Uh, the time of possession is totally lopsided. And we're minus minus seven in a turnover ratio. And that's that's not a winning formula. No, it's not a winning formula at all. That's why they've only won one game and frankly shouldn't have won that game. The good news is Dak Prescott is performing like a quarterback never has. Yeah. Set a record for yardage in consecutive games. But you know what? When that's all your offense has, when you can't run the ball, or when you're consistently behind that's right. by double digits. I mean, that's the problem. Every game for the Cowboys is Let's see how deep we can dig the hole and then whether or not we can frantically climb our way out of it. Yeah, well, there's a there's a lot to discuss here with the Dallas Cowboys. There really is. And th- that's the first thing. You're right. Not get yourself in a hole to where you got to climb out of it. Okay, well, you know, who do they got to blame for that last night? Dak Prescott, Zeke Elliott, a, a game planner who doesn't protect a right tackle going against Miles Garrett, who's one of the best pass rushers in the game. You know, the, those two possessions were the difference of the game. They were in a shootout. It but was the four- X's in the O's oh. said it would work. I, you're right. They drew it up, and they said, man, this guy that's <laughs> never been drafted a right tackle, we think he could draft. We, we, oh, oh, look at that line. Oh, he blocked the number one pick in the draft. Look at that. Except when it's for real, and it wasn't for real. I mean, it was for real. But that was the difference right there, Mike. Those two plays, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott, two plays in a row, fumble lead to short touchdown drives for the Cleveland Browns, gave them that 28-14 lead. So they can blame themselves for that, for sure. And then, I mean, from what Mike McCarthy's saying and everything there, you know, time of possession, those days are over for the Dallas Cowboys. They can't run and dominate the line of scrimmage like the old days. They're a passing team. It's done. Ezekiel Elliott's really good, but they're not going to be able to do that anymore. And then defense. Defense? Defense. Do they play it? I mean, defensively, it's embarrassing right now. It really is. There's nothing other than Alden Smith to look at and be impressed by. And then also, I think the thing that jumps out to me, Mike, with their defense is, you know, yeah, there's Demarcus Lawrence if you're watching on TV. I mean, where's he been? I mean, we never say his name anymore. They're paying him $100 million. That's concerning. But they have a team that's built to play a 4-3 defense. That's Seattle scheme. And they hired a guy like Mike Nolan where that's not really his defense. And you're seeing right now a team when the players don't fit the scheme, let alone the players aren't that talented to begin with or maybe not as talented as we all thought. And it's just the perfect mesh of just get gashed on a weekly basis right now. I mean, it's embarrassing what they're doing.
Said Lawrence after the game, according to The Athletic, we've got to hold ourselves to a higher standard. We've got to play together as one. I don't feel like we're holding ourselves accountable, including myself. So I call the bleep soft, and we will get better from it. I mean, those are just words, though. How do you actually put it into action? Oh, I'm going to hold myself more accountable. Well, if you're overmatched, it doesn't matter. You're just holding yourself more accountable for something you ultimately can't control. No, I, I mean, you're right. Yeah, I, I mean, okay. I mean, we know, but what what are you going to do? I don't know. Where, where do they – Where I have seen no silver lining to go, well, they do have this, or this group of guys is hurt and going to be back. I mean, I know they're missing some middle linebackers, but I don't look at that and just go, oh, well, their defense will be fixed and good. It doesn't matter. Their defensive line can't get can't rush the passer. They get moved off the ball in the in the in the run game, and then secondary wise, I mean, we're seeing big plays every week. I mean, they're basically playing right now. We're gonna get the ball last. Dak Prescott, we're just hoping he's gonna score. That, that's that's how they're playing. They're gonna get. It doesn't look like it's gonna change. And right now, three games in a row, the offense has made mistakes that has hurt them in these shootouts. And they can't afford to do that because there's no wiggle room on their team right now. The good news for the Dallas Cowboys, if there is any, other than Dak Prescott's performance, because he really has been spectacular, yeah. although part of it's on him. When you get into a potential shootout, and remember the talk last week about is it going to be a shootout? Well, at 14-14, it looked like a shootout was starting, and then the next thing you know, it's 41-14. So at some point along the way, Dak Prescott's not living up to his end of the bargain yeah. to answer what the Browns are doing, Chris. I I, I think that's, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to say it's fair because they're, they're asking so much of him right now. That's where it's just there's too much on him every every play, every drive. It's just you got to make the perfect throw. We, we're never going to stop the other team. You got to go down and score. And when you have to play like that, like your, your hair's on fire all the time, it's going to lead to right tackles being on an island against Miles Garrett and mistakes and things like that. But yes, I mean, as awesome as he's playing right now, you know, last week it was the interception before the half ended. It was the strip sack fumble in Seattle to start the second half. You know, and then, of course, yesterday, the the Atlanta game was a bunch of turnovers by Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. They were fortunate to come back, yes, but, you know, again, some of their star powers and those guys on the offensive side of the ball are letting them down by making those mistakes in games that, yeah, they're going to have to kind of play perfect and win a shootout. So, Chris, the record for passing yardage in a single season, 5,477 set by Peyton Manning in 2013, just two years after Drew Brees had 5-4-7-6. Yeah. Peyton Manning leapfrogged him by 36 inches. Yes. Dak Prescott, if you saw the number that was up on the screen, 1,690 passing yards through four games. I had to run this through my calculator three times because I didn't believe the final number. He's on pace, not for 5-4-7-8. He's on pace for 6,760 passing yards. It's insane. Now, wouldn't it be something if he sets that record for a team that goes 5-11 and 11 and maybe wins the division? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows in the NFC East? 6-10, first-round home game in the playoffs. <laughs> I still got a problem with that. I got a problem with that. And, and this is a – you know, I may forget about it by the time we do anger grievances on Wednesday. But – the Cowboys are one and two. Washington's one and two. The Giants are one and three. One and three. Zero oh and four for the Giants. And there are the Eagles at one, two, and one by virtue of whatever the hell it is they did last night to your guy Kyle Shanahan. They're in first place. It's unbelievable. The Philadelphia Eagles in first place after a ugly tie, win that game last night that I know we'll discuss here in a little while. But the, the NFC least, it's not the NFC East this year. It's the NFC least. It's very disappointing. And, yeah, you're right. Dallas sitting here at one and three. It, I mean, it doesn't matter. And this year, it doesn't. I mean, yeah. But this is the way they're going to have to do it. And he might throw for 6,000 yards this year. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm dead serious. I think he's going to get close. He's going to break the record. Uh, with those weapons and as bad as their defense is, it's going to lay out to where – yeah, they're going to come out pressing the issue in the past game, but I just can't imagine there's any game where they're going to be able to be like, oh, let's let's sit back. We got this game won. I just don't see how that happens with their defense. They're going to be in a lot of these shootouts, and I would expect them to challenge it. I really would. 
breaking the record on a losing team that still wins the division. And you mentioned the Eagles. They pulled off the victory last night somehow over the 49ers. We all thought the 49ers were going to win. The Eagles' Twitter account did their victory lap after the game. You know, look, where, where, where are those Twitter accounts when we're right? when we pick those teams to lose. Do they say anything then? No. That's what drives me crazy. You're like, go thump your chest when you win. Okay, hey, congratulations. You're not as bad as everybody thought you were. Congratulations. You're slightly better than the bad team that everybody thought you were, and you found an acorn and or a shamrock stuck somewhere last night against the 49ers. But this, to me, was more about the 49ers having their bubble burst. Nick Mullins, talk about him supplanting Jimmy Garoppolo. Not after last night. <laughs> yeah, not after <laughs> last night. Womp, womp. I mean, yeah, womp, womp is right. I mean, he's going to be relegated to third string after last night. I mean, that, that, it's really, there's not much more to say than that. It started from the very start of the game. The first throw of the game was a wide open slant that was going to be caught and run for 15 to 20 yards. The second play of the game was Kyle Juszczyk faking the run right he's running what? up he'd still be running he'd still he'd be, be in running sorry by now right horrible pocket presence fumbling stupid interception when you're in field goal range horrible pick six at the end of the game missed throws everywhere I mean they lost the game there's no other way to say it because of Nick Mullins that's just that's just a simple fact of the matter and Philadelphia you know they're tough and gritty and Carson Wentz is gritty that way he just kept hanging in there, ugly as hell, getting beat up. I'll run for six. I'll jam it in here for four four yards with this throw. And he got it done. So, yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, we're eating it on Sunday Night Football. Oh, you showed us. Congratulations, Eagles. You showed us, Eagles. you one and two and one, Sh Eagles. <laughs> yeah. You're not as bad as we all unanimously believed you were. Congratulations. But um, they but got yeah, the win. Ma Ma hey, Mullins. I'm telling you, that last interception, that was like, I saw somebody point this out on Twitter, and I think it was appropriate, that that was Neil O'Donnell in Super Bowl 30 throwing the ball to a wide-open Larry Brown. Like, what the hell? I, did you instant? Did you have, like, temporary insanity where you thought you were playing for the Eagles last night? That's how bad it was. Well, it was. It was that bad. The, the, it, it really hit the trifecta last night with Nick Mullins. I mean, stupid mistakes not seeing the field the right way. And then also to that, to that ball specifically you're talking about, and it happened about five other footballs. I thought during the night, the ball just he physically, he wasn't good. The ball just came out of his hand off the side of his hand. And he, he like shanked it like a guy on the driving range, you know, you, you know, four, like you think you're going to hit the ball down the middle. No, he shanked it and hit it 700 yards left. Uh, it, that that's what he did there in the quarterback terms. It was an out route to the left side. He's just got to throw it high and soft, and it's going to be an easy completion. And he threw it, no joke, 10 yards short of the target and didn't get any, uh, what do I say, arc on the football. So it was just an all-around bad look. And, you know, again, C.J. Beathard, you saw when he came in, he certainly was a more natural of a thrower. And, you know, he was reckless in his time, and that's why he got benched for Mullins, uh, you know, two years ago. But – but regardless, you know, it did give them a jump start. But I don't think we're going to see Nick Mullins in there anytime soon if, if Jimmy Garoppolo is not back next week. So you think it'll be Beathard next week? I don't if Jimmy's see. Not back? I don't see how you can go back to Nick Mullins after a game like that last night. That'll be one of those where it's going to the coaches are going to look at it and go, "Oh my gosh, he played so horrible," and the players are going to even go, "Man, Nick struggled, not even knowing how bad he really played." Really, I mean that that that'll be one that's unavoidable to me to where I would think Shanahan would end up going with C.J. Beathard if Garoppolo is not ready to go. Well, uh, it's amazing how quickly one three-hour stretch can change how we feel about a team because yeah. we thought, hey, here are the 49ers, next man up, they're going to keep winning. And, and, and remember this, that schedule for the 49ers eventually becomes really a gauntlet. Hard. The likes of which we have never seen, although I'm exaggerating there. But look at that. Starting week six, Rams at Patriots at Seahawks, Packers at Saints at Rams, Bills. You better hope Jimmy G's back and you better hope that he's ready to play the best football of his life or that is going to be a long two months for the San Francisco 49ers. All right, let's take a break when we return. 
Tom Brady threw five touchdown passes yesterday, but he may not have been the most impressive quarterback on the field. Bucks Chargers recap when this Monday, PFT Live. It played poorly, and uh, it was just a show of character. Uh, what the second half was going to show, I can honestly say, had this been last year, we'd have got our ass beat by 20. This team has a ton of character and, and playmakers, and we started making plays, and you can see when we don't beat ourselves, we're going to be a tough team to beat. You know, why didn't he just say, I really, really have no regard for Jameis Winston as a quarterback? Because that's what Bruce Arians was saying, because that's the big difference between last year and this year. And yeah, last year, they wouldn't have come back from 17 points down. This year, they have a guy who never gives up. He came back from 28-3 down in the Super Bowl for crying out loud. And Chris, this is where a guy like Tom Brady, even at age 43, is a difference maker for a team because he's going to make everyone in the locker room and everyone in the building and everyone connected to the franchise in any way, shape, or form believe that anything can be accomplished no matter how far behind they fall. Yeah, that, no, you're right. All I mean, everything you said there. I mean, first off, he's still throwing the ball at, at a very high level, as we see. I mean, pushing the ball down the field, making plays that way. And, yeah, he might not be the guy that can carry a football team anymore, but he's a guy that can maximize when you have a, a team set up the way Tampa is set up, which is very talented. Offensive line getting better. We're seeing running back coming along. We know the wide receivers and tight end play are like, you know, redonkulously good. Okay, the defensive line is one of the best in football. So he's maxim. He he's really perfect for down there. He really is. And then what they're doing on the offensive side of the ball, like Byron Leftwich, Bruce Arians, I, I think they deserve a lot of credit. I mean, Mike, you heard me during the game yesterday. I'm sure because. The, the one thing I see, I see a lot of Tom Brady in the offense. I do. A lot of the New England, spread him out, short passes, and that's the formula they've kind of used the last few weeks. Spread him out, short passes, get Tom in a rhythm, then bring in two tight ends, maybe three, get the defense to have to play kind of a simple, ooh, we might have to stop the run type of defense, and we can't blitz because we're worried about that. That's usually how defenses play those formations. And then that's when Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich take their shots with Brady, knowing, ooh, we can keep a tight end and get an extra guy to block. This will keep Brady comfortable and feeling good in the pocket and give him that aggressive frame of mind. And I think that's slowly what I'm seeing a little bit in Tampa is Brady is starting to get more and more aggressive. The things that I had issues with him last year, you know, now I think he's starting to go, wait, okay, they're protecting me. I understand what, you know, the offensive game plan is every week. And it's leading to him making some big plays down the field to O.J. Howard and, of course, Mike Evans and company. Five touchdown passes yesterday, and he shrugged off the pick six. And it's funny, Chris, because we were watching the games. I'm here in West Virginia, but I've got a live link with everyone in Connecticut. And you were talking about how Tom Brady knows the Seattle beaters, the plays that can beat that cover three defense. And that's something he's done time and again. And then, oops, it's a pick six to the Chargers out route he should just quit throwing the out routes like that that's where he gets into trouble with the pick sixes but you know what hey I threw a pick six in the Super Bowl right and we came back and won that's right so what take a pick six you're, you're gonna get one but I'm still gonna take care of business I mean that that's yeah. the value that's that that's and here we are they lost to the Saints week one and the the sky was falling and you know we we, we see that every year you lose week one and the sky's falling. Well, for the Bucks, for the Colts and the Browns, the sky didn't fall. They're all undefeated since week one. And the Buccaneers are looking pretty damn good right now. And Tom Brady is one of the big reasons why. And and I don't want to take anything away from Mike Evans, who gutted through an injury and had 120-plus yeah. receiving yards. You know, they're going to have to get it done with O.J. Howard going forward. They believe he's got a ruptured Achilles tendon. So, oh, wait, we have Gronk. Now, whether or not Gronk ever gets back to being the guy he was is a different story, but... You know, they, they just find a way. They never give up. They never give in, and they find a way. And that was what they were lacking last year. And they were 7-9 and nine lacking that last year. Yeah, that's year. right. Exactly. 7-9 and nine last year where we all saw talent, and we went, man, I mean, they could get in the playoffs. And, you know, they, they can overwhelm you with their defensive line. When they have Sue, Vita Vea, JPP, Shaquille Barrett, and they'll even bring Vernon Golston in sometimes just to get five one-on-ones, and they will one of those matchups is going to win or dominate. You can guarantee it. The linebackers are special in Levante David and Devin White. And then 
you know, we're seeing a young secondary kind of starting to blossom in front of us a little bit, too, in some ways. I mean, they're still living up some big plays, but we've seen them make some plays the last few weeks, too. But, you know, I, I you know, you talk about Brady, the out routes and things like that. I, you know, I'll take it right now if I'm a Tampa fan, and I am, and a Brady fan and everything like that. They're more dangerous like this. Keep pushing the ball around the field, Tom. You know, okay, you might throw an interception, but look how much more dangerous of a quarterback he is this year as compared to last year because he's making defenses, like he said in that press conference, defend the whole field. He's not looking for, oh, where's Julian Edelman for a five-yard throw? Oh, where's the back? He's, you know, he's got talent around him, and I think he's buying into what he's seeing, and I think that's really been helping. And as we've talked all along, his arm has not really declined much, as we're all witnessing. He's... Brady, in some ways, might be overrated in Chris Sims' eyes for a lot of things, but in Chris Sims' eyes, he's very underrated for some of his physical t tools and his arm is special that way. Now, can I just say one more thing to just change the subject just a little? That play call before the half was over by the Chargers was so stupid. They were up 24-7. to The Bucks had one timeout. Kneel on the freaking ball and go in 24-7. to I mean, that's the coach's fault. That's Anthony Lynn's fault. What are you doing? They had the Bucks on the ropes, and they gave Brady the ball at the five-yard line to jumpstart the team and go in feeling good when they were going to go in feeling like crap. That was the dumbest play of the day, and I have to blame the head coach for not seeing that with a young running back and quarterback and a team that only has one timeout. Kneel on it. Move on. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you there, and it, it's a shame. Anytime you're up 17 points in this league, in past years you just assume you're going to win. It's a major disaster if you lose. What we've seen, though, this year especially, and I saw a note from the NFL last night, the, the Patriots, by coming from 17 points behind, they are uh, they, they join a string that goes back every week of the season. All four weeks, there's been a team that's come from 16 or more from behind to win a you game. You meant the Bucks? You didn't mean the Patriots, the, right? I mean by the Bucks. I see Tom Brady. Come on, get Patriots. your crap straight. Brady's the on the Bucks I now, I see Tom man. Brady, come on. and I think the Patriots. But anyway. You had me all I confused. Was I was say, like, wait, the Patriots? I had myself all confused. <laughs> anyway, every week this season, a team has been 16 or more points behind and has come back and won. That's never happened before. So, with, with all this scoring that we're seeing now, this is one of the byproducts. No lead is safe, and you can't screw around, even if you're up 24-7, to your point, like the Chargers were. you got to get into the locker room 24-7, and you better hope you can hold it in the second half because I have a feeling even if they wouldn't have given them the gift at the end of the half. Yeah, it was going to be close anyways. <laughs> The Patriots are still gonna the Brady the Brady Buccaneers the Brady are still is, gonna figure out the the, the Brady are still gonna figure out what to Brady do. Brady Nears the Brady Nears. I mean, yeah, no, but you're right. I, I I felt the same way too. You felt like okay, even they go in twenty four seven. You just went, well, that that could be a big enough cushion to make this really interesting in the fourth quarter. I I, I did I did feel that way as well. But when it got to twenty four fourteen, you went, oh man. I don't know if they're gonna be able to do that. But Mike, I think the offensive point you bring up first off. I mean, we're seeing it. And it's an offensive year. They, they have a clear advantage right now. Defenses are struggling in all shapes and forms as far as they're not as complex right now because I think it's still early in the football life of a defense. You're seeing that they didn't get to practice a whole lot. And then the other thing, too, with these comebacks and things, crowd noise. Crowd noise is making a difference, and it's, in, it's, it's, in, it's increased the offense's advantage because the defensive line – in no moment ever has an advantage anymore. And in those moments where we go, oh, the way team's on the road and they're down by five or seven or anything like that, there's just no crowd noise to let the defense, defense maybe shut it out, do things like that, end the game. Uh, but, yeah, it does seem like the, the teams with good quarterbacks and high-powered offenses are really at an advantage this year. That's got to be a huge factor. Though. Think about the Bills up 28-3, and they have no fans there last week against right. the Rams to right. clamp down on the defense, and the next thing you know, the Rams are ahead. But these scores, they're obscene. I love it, though. This is what I've been wanting. I want the college football-type scores, 37-28, 31-21, 33-25, 49-30. I'm not even skipping any. I'm, I'm looking at all the numbers here. The only game that stands out, there yeah. are two that stand out as not high-scoring, Rams, Giants, 17-9, Colts, Bears, 19-11. Every other game, both teams were in the 20s, and in a lot of them, both teams were in the 30s or close to it, and that makes for more exciting football. 
The Chargers have an exciting football team because they have a very good quarterback, Man, Justin Herbert. His, statistically, he was better than Tom Brady yesterday. He completed uh, 20 of 25 passes, and he averaged 11.6 yards per attempt, which is ridiculous. And here's some of the people involved in yesterday's game praising the rookie who looks like he's got a very bright future. I, I told uh, Anthony after the game, I said, you got a great one. You know, that, that, that retreating play, that looked like Mahomes, where we had an all-out blitz, and he just kept retreating and throwing a dime down the field. And, uh, you know, for rookies to make plays like that, you know they're special. He was very impressive today, and he played great. You know, our defense played great all year. And uh, he hung in there, made a lot of good throws. They hit us on some big plays. We blitzed him a little bit. And he just stood in there and took it. He's got, obviously, all the ability. He's got a great arm and um, moves really well. You know, the team believes in him. So he's off to a great start. It was uh, prior to last season, and he just called, just wanted to reach out. Um, he wanted to say good luck, and, and I returned the, the message and just said thanks for, for reaching out. And um, to hear from a, a hero like that was was really cool. Did it kind of blow you away? Did you, you obviously didn't recognize the number. Were you shocked that it was Tom Brady? Well, he I think he called me at uh, 4 a.m. Pacific time, so I wasn't up yet. Um, <laughs> and so I let it ring. and. Um, I, I probably should have answered it had I known it was him. You know, you would think a guy who grew up in California would be sensitive to the whole Eastern time, Pacific time. I mean, that's one thing you always factor in. I factor in the people I know in California. It's a if I move. have a, even if I, even if it's a, a text, like I, I'm not going to send a text at 7:43 in the morning to somebody who I know lives in California because it's 4:43, unless it's John Gruden. Not that I would ever text him, but uh, I, or, or that he would ever accept it. I'm no. I'm sure I'm blocked on his phone and everything else. But yeah, come on, Tom. Come on, Tom. It's don't, a vet don't move. Mess with the kid like that. It's a vet move, Mike. He knew what he was doing. He was. I don't want to get in a damn conversation with this kid. I got to play him in week four. I want to make sure I beat his butt. I want to say something nice to him and encouraging with him. So he called at 4 a.m. He goes, he won't answer. I won't have to get in a conversation. I'll leave a nice voice message. He'll hear my voice. It's respectful. And then they move on. It was a perfect move by Tom. I, 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 well done. Well done, Mr. Brady. Well, <laughs> one of the reasons he should be glad he's not on the Patriots, he doesn't have to worry about crossing paths with Justin Herbert in the postseason or as often in the regular season as he will as a member of the Buccaneers. He'll probably never play Justin Herbert again unless no. they end up crossing paths in the Super Bowl. But he's insane. Between now and the end of Brady's career. Oh, he's great. And we saw it against the Chiefs. And then last week, Chris, last week, it was like, what the hell? Where's Justin Herbert? What's going on? And then yesterday, uh, he looked even better than he did against the Chiefs. He did. Well, you just you see the first off the size of the human being. I think that's the first thing that always jumps out to me. I mean, he has such stature there. And you heard Arians and Brady talking about, yeah, we tried to blitz him. You know, that was after they kind of – they kind of sat back at first and went, oh, I don't know if this guy can kind of dissect us and read defenses. Let's make him do that. And he did that well. And I think then they went, okay, well, let's change it up here because that's not working. Let's blitz and see if the kid can handle the blitz. And he just, as you could even see in the press conference, there's just not much that phases him. There's not. He has just that way about him. You know, life's easy for, for Justin Herbert. And he doesn't seem to ever be panicked. And then, yeah, they blitz him. And like Arian said, that's like Mahomes-type throws. I mean, the two bombs he threw to Guyton, and then I can't remember the other one, to Johnson down the middle, I think, believe. But the Guyton post-corner down in the end zone, I mean, that was – that ball must have traveled 60-something yards in the air. You know, and then, of course, the one Bruce Arians is talking about fading away like that, that is special. He can make game-changing – you know, momentum-changing type of throws, let alone he can do that with his feet, too. I mean, uh, the, from the looks of things, just from this last year, I mean, Burrow, Justin Herbert have special futures. Herbert has a real special future. We can't forget about him because we talk about Burrow a lot. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed with the the just the talent of Justin Herbert at this point. And all of that makes me want to see Tua. When yeah, will we see right. Tua Tonga-Vailoa, who was caught between Burrow at number one and Herbert at number six, Tua the fifth overall pick in the draft. And once Fitz magic becomes Fitz tragic again, I think that's when we'll see Tua Tonga-Vailoa. All right, let's take a break. It was a crazy weekend, and it's been a wild week for the NFL as it relates to the pandemic. I applied the jinx last Tuesday by saying, hey, everything's great. They've cracked the code on COVID. No, they haven't. 
everything you need to know about where things stand as it relates to the the NFL's effort to play pro football in a pandemic when PFT Live continues right after. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Goal for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Go for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. All right, so it was a, a troubling week for the National Football League. And the news is still coming in from the Tennessee Titans. A week after... Their facility was shut down. They're still generating positives, which tells us more than I think we ever really understood about the incubation period of this disease. The New England Patriots, I'm told, continue to get negative tests in the aftermath of the news that Cam Newton tested positive on Friday with a result that came back Saturday morning. See, there's two types of tests, Chris. There's the point of care test where you do it right there. You take the test, you get the result in a matter of, of minutes, at least within an hour. You don't have to send it out to a lab. Then there's the test samples they harvest on site, send them off to a lab, and you wait. And I was told yesterday how long you wait depends upon how close you are to the lab. They got to put it in a van, they got to take it somewhere, they got to get it to the lab. And once the lab gets it, they can test it fairly quickly, but the lag is driven in large part by how far you are. So sometimes you find out at night, sometimes you find out the next morning, but what I've been told is the Patriots found out that yesterday's Sunday's samples that were sent off site for testing, all negative. So the good news is, and I haven't heard anything about the Chiefs, you know, and people are like, well, you know, why aren't folks focused on the Chiefs? Yeah. They have a positive player too in Jordan Ta'amu, practice squad quarterback. And yeah, the same potential for an outbreak in Kansas City as there is in New England. Both teams so far clean, other than the two who tested positive. Both teams do to play tonight at 7 o'clock Eastern to make up the game that was postponed from yesterday after the news emerged of the two positives. But this just shows you how crazy it all can be, how changes need to be made quickly, and how how tenuous it ultimately is going to be to get 256 games in, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it, it's, it's a little scary. It brought us back to reality this last week, for sure. I, th- I think, I mean, listen, everything in our country brought us back to reality, I think, a little last week. I mean, no doubt. And I'm not even, you know, whether it's... Did it, though? No. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Do people... Do you really think people have understood? Because I think all it does, it's another instance of where we can line up in our two tribes and shout profanity at each other. Man, I I don't even... that That no facts are changing anything. Even with the president in the hospital for three days with COVID-19, it's not changing anyone's view on... On whether masks work or don't work, or whether whether you're I mean, you're a Karen or a Beta because you wear a mask, it's just it's stupid to me. Nothing's going to change our view on it. Well, the, well, that's we're the, hardened the, in listen, our position. Okay, I don't. Those people are stupid. I don't know what else to say. They're, you're stupid. I, you don't like. It's like it's like if you were going to have a conversation with Bill Belichick and go, I'm not going to really listen to you about football. I'm not sure about your credentials. You don't know. I mean, that's what you're doing to people who are saying to wear a mask. Sorry. And the guy who mocked it, of course, karma came back. All right? So now, it's everywhere, though. Forget that. I mean, it's starting to pop up everywhere through our country. Even here in Connecticut, we're starting to see it a little bit more. And it's scary. It is. 
It seems like it's not going to be, you know, we're not going to be able to avoid this all year long. And, Mike, I come back to what you said last week. I know I said it last night, and I meant to give you credit on the show when I said it. I mean, I, I think you're right. We're getting towards the part of we're going to have to have 32 bubbles. I, I, I really do. I mean, just as you listen to the experts, we're getting into fall season. Last year, flu season was horrible to begin with before Corona was here. So now you're going to have the combination of that and then lowered immune systems and things like that. And I'm just scared that we won't be able to get it done unless teams start to kind of create their own hotel bubble that way. And uh, that's the only way to ensure the safety. The challenge for the NFL Players Association, which is constantly engaged in collective bargaining with the, the league, and it, it's not just something that happens every time they do a new deal. There are issues that come up all the time. And there was a huge issue that came up in July. How are we going to negotiate the protocols for playing this season in the pandemic? And I, I respect the fact that you always try to get something for your constituency when management wants you to do something. But there's a point where you just have to realize it's in our best interest to go along with this. The union needs to say, we will go get into the bubbles. The numbers are going up. And the, the, the best way to look at it, and I had someone explain it like this to me over the weekend. In every NFL building, there are 170 stories. Not that there are 170 stories tall. There are 170 people yeah. who have their own lives, their own tail. They go home. We don't know how they're potentially getting infected. Are they going out and doing dumb things like Derek Carr and friends last Monday night? Are they just going home and there happens to be somebody in the house who was out that day who accidentally got infected? You, you don't know right. what these people are doing when they leave. So the only way to avoid that is to put everybody in a hotel, hotel to practice, practice to hotel. We've been banging this drum over and over again, but it's getting worse. And somebody said to me last night, I can't remember who it was, that basically if, if there's one more of these, one more incident, that's when the NFL is going to do it. Well, why are you waiting for one more? You know one more is going to happen. Why are you waiting for it? Do it now. Agreed. I mean, I, I, th I think we're getting very close to that. I mean, if Cam Newton's not enough of a, a name to pop up, if the Tennessee Titans, where we're having positive tests daily for, what is it, six days in a row now, Mike? Was it five? Either way. I mean, you know, that's scary. What, 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 what are you going to do? I mean, yeah. I mean, the Titans right now, I mean, we're not sure they're going to play next week. They might miss two games. Right. What, how is that going to work? How is that going to be fair to other teams? Uh, yep. So th that's where I, I agree with you, Mike. I really do. Patriots taking two planes today to Kansas City. Why? One plane has the 20 or so people who were in close contact with Cam Newton. The other plane has everyone else, which just underscores. The incubation period is the donut hole, the unfixable donut hole in this problem for the NFL because you can be generating negative, negative, negative until the day you give a sample that we find out tomorrow was positive and you shed virus for a whole day on everyone else and then they start into the incubation period. Full hour of PFT Live still to come with your time.